Welcome to the Sheila Stories, which relate the life of an Australian woman in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. I'm Pat Kelly, your host and storyteller. Now, to get everyone back up to speed, in our last episode, Sheila attended rookies camp for the Australian Women's Army Service and got in trouble for stuffing a harmless snake down the back of a soldier's shirt. In this episode, Thomas will tease Chris on the front porch, and their conversation will result in a good-natured push-pull contest. And in Sheila's world, as an ambulance driver for a military hospital in Tamworth, Sheila will meet an injured soldier from Colin McKechnie's division. So let us begin this episode in Thomas's house, just after he has told the girls the story about Sheila stuffing a snake down a soldier's shirt. I picked up a snake once, says Natalie. Really? says Chris, from her usual spot on the floor. Uh Uh-huh. In science class. It was green and this long. Natalie opens her arms 18 inches apart. I wouldn't want one on my back, says April. Ew! No way, says Chris. What about you, Daddy? says April. Hmm, I say. It might be kind of fun. All slippery and cool. Those scales are so smooth. Daddy, says April. You're joking, says Natalie. Soon we're into a tickling battle on top of Natalie's bed which of course I win, but not without sustaining real damage. They're getting better, splitting up to attack me from two sides. In the midst of the melee, I glance at Chris, and I could swear she wants to join in. It's a good thing she doesn't, or I would lose for sure. After I tuck in the girls, Chris and I get a glass of wine and move out to the porch. We sit on the sofa and use the table in front for the drinks. That story wasn't too tough, she said. It's early yet, I say, 1941. The war has a ways to go. What was that nonsense about wanting a snake down your back, she says. You've never had a snake slither on your skin, I say. No, thank you, she says. It's cool, I say. No kidding. All that wiggling. Have you seen the model with a python wrapped around her? It's kind of sexy. Sexy? Yuck! I laugh, teasing her. You'd better not put one down my back, she says. Never know. You might like it. Get out, she says. She reaches over and pushes my upper arm. Sort of a light shove. We're in the moment, not thinking at all, and I reach over to push her back. She grabs my hand, and we engage in a grade school game of push-pull. And then we're kissing. It happens that fast. The kiss lingers, and lingers some more. I put my hand on her shoulder, and then the back of her neck. She breathes through her nose. Her lips taste like cool water on a hot afternoon. Wait, what? I pull away, embarrassed. I'm sorry, I say. What for, she says. I kissed you, too, and I'm not sorry. It's just... What is it, she says. Why are you sorry? 
How do I explain this? I can't put it into words. I don't even understand it myself. I'm not ready, I say. Not ready for what? She says. She's not irritated, just curious. Her hand gently touches mine. She skims her fingers lightly across my skin. I made a promise, I say. Promised who? Promised what? I'm not ready, I say. You already said that. You need to say something else now. She leans back, frowns, and reaches for her wine glass. After taking a gulp, she says, Thomas Kelly IV, your wife passed away seven years ago. Are you telling me you promised her you'd never kiss another woman? No, I never made that promise. She inhales deeply and then pushes the air out through her lips, slow and steady, like some sort of breathing exercise. What is it then, she says. I remember sitting on a different porch, fresh out of tears, my heart hardly working. I breathed in but never seemed to get any air. My arms were so weak I couldn't lift them. I'm just not ready, I say. Frontline News Sheila lay on her back on the ground and looked up at the dirty engine. The air was stifling under the ambulance. With a rag, she wiped dirt and grease from the oil pan until she had a clear view of the plug. Then she groped for the wrench beside her. With the plug half unscrewed, she brought the metal bin underneath. She used her fingers for the last couple turns and yanked the plug away to let the black oil drain in a constant stream. Did you get it? asked Norma. Yeah. Sheila wiggled away from under the chassis and stood. Thank goodness, said Norma. It takes me forever, and I always make a mess. Last time I had to throw away my shirt. Norma was Sheila's friend in the ambulance corps at the military hospital in Tamworth. She was an excellent driver, but not much good at performing light maintenance on her vehicle, which all the drivers were required to do. Sheila liked to have the extra work, so she helped Norma out. Anything to keep busy. When not on ambulance runs, the girls washed their trucks or played cards or exercised and tried not to worry. They all had brothers or cousins or boyfriends on the front lines. It was almost Christmas of 1941, but no one felt like celebrating. The Japanese had everyone on the run. They had bombed the U.S. base in Pearl Harbor on December 7th and invaded Malaya and the Philippines the next day. The newspapers reported the British and Australians were retreating toward Singapore and the American general, MacArthur, was losing ground in the Philippines. Meanwhile, Colin was in Syria fighting Italians. Sheila used the rag to wipe her hands. His last letter had come three weeks earlier. That didn't mean anything, though. He wrote every week, but sometimes the mail got bottled up between the Middle East and Australia. When the jam opened, she'd get several letters in the span of a few days. Did you check for mail today? said Norma, as if reading Sheila's mind. Twice, said Sheila. Nothing yet. Norma was a skinny thing. 
but beautiful, with a bright smile and the darkest blue eyes. She was raised wealthy in Melbourne and learned to drive her father's car at an early age. Some of the girls shunned Norma at first because she had money, but she always had a kind word to say. And she was smart, although not good with a wrench. Until stationed there, neither Sheila nor Norma had ever visited Tamworth, an interior town 250 miles north of Sydney. God, it's hot, said Norma. I'll never get used to this inland heat. Sheila wiped her brow. It's summertime. It's supposed to be hot in the summer. Let's sit in the shade while the oil drains. They ambled toward a nearby ironbark tree, and then the motor pool clerk, Millie, opened the shed door 50 feet away. Need five to meet a hospital train. You're up, Sheila. Sheila handed Norma the plug and then said, Make sure you put this back in before you fill the engine with oil. Norma laughed, and Sheila ran for her ambulance. The ambulances stopped at the hospital to pick up orderlies. An orderly named Marie climbed into Sheila's cab. They had worked the train run together several times. I heard these are bad, Marie said. Yeah, said Sheila. She shifted into second gear, and they pulled onto Manila Road and headed toward town. Lost legs, lost arms, said Marie. They're still alive, said Sheila. That's something. True enough, said Marie. Those damn Germans. These soldiers came from North Africa. Sheila's heart strained like the engine as she shifted to a higher gear. The 18th Brigade was in North Africa. First Tobruk and then Syria. Colin's last letter was dated over a month ago. Did they say what division, Sheila said? Ninth and seventh. Could Colin be on this train? No. It would take longer, wouldn't it? She edged closer to the next ambulance, willing the driver to speed up. Nurses waited for them on the train platform. More orderlies helped them carry the litters. They loaded four soldiers into her ambulance. A nurse checked each patient after they'd been secured. Two of the soldiers were deflated, not just sleeping, but devoid of energy or emotion. One soldier was missing a foot, but seemed healthy otherwise. He chatted nonstop. Oh, nurse, he said, how about a kiss? You know, a goodbye kiss. I'm married, soldier. What would my husband say? I won't blab if you won't, he said. She patted his shoulder and exited the ambulance. Marie took her place inside. She would ride and back to the hospital. How about you, miss, said the man with one foot. Have a heart. Give a soldier a welcoming kiss to Tamworth. Marie giggled and shook her head, but she kissed him on the forehead anyway. Oh, jeez, he said. Tamworth is heaven. The fourth soldier watched with one unblinking eye. A bandage wrapping covered most of his head, leaving holes for the eye and his mouth. His hands were bandaged as well, perhaps burned. Sheila couldn't tell if he was happy, sad, or even glad to be alive. The talkative soldier continued to chat up Marie. Sheila might not see him again after they got to camp. Soldier, she said, are you with the 7th Division? That's right, miss. 21st Brigade. 
My bow's in the 18th, she said. Colin McKechnie, 9th Battalion? He shook his head. Sorry, miss. Her hand dropped from the door and hung listlessly at her side. The soldier rubbed his chin. But asked the others. Some guys from the 18th were on the ship. Thank you, she said. When her shift was over, Sheila walked through a hot dusk to the hospital and learned that two men from the 18th Brigade had arrived, both from the 10th Battalion from South Australia. She found them in a big room with 20 beds. The first man slept, and she didn't have the heart to wake him. The second man, Ted Beasley, stared at the ceiling. Hello, she said. He jerked and stared as if she were a ghost. I'm sorry, she said. She moved into the light on the other side of the bed. I didn't mean to startle you. I thought you were an angel, that I was dead. A huge bandage crossed his midsection. He propped himself on his elbows, but kept his legs still, as if moving them would hurt. Do you need anything, she said. He inhaled deeply, savoring every bit of air. A breeze blew through a window and brought relief from the heat. Apparently, he said, I need a new girlfriend. Mine's flown away. Oh no, Sheila said. She found an airman she likes better than me, he said. Poor taste, Sheila said. Without question, she's shown poor taste. I got the letter yesterday, he said. But at least she made her decision before she knew I was injured. I'd hate for her to hang on to me out of sympathy. The soldier was so tall, his frame ran from one end of the mattress to the other. He had oily hair and a gaunt face. We planned on getting married, he said. The words seemed to mean little to him as if the marriage talk had only been a dream. If the war hadn't come, we would have married, and she would have been unhappy her whole life. But now she's found the right man. Isn't that strange? Something good has come from the war. I don't know, Sheila said. So many people strewn across the world because of a little man with a funny mustache. Could anything good come from that? The soldier noticed her uniform and said, You're not a nurse. No, my bow's in the 18th Brigade. He tilted his head. So that's why you came. What's his name? he asked. Colin McKechnie. I've met him. He nodded. Certain. 9th Battalion from Queensland. Tough lads. And your Colin is one of the toughest. The Germans tried to push the boys from Queensland back twice but they wouldn't budge. They made the Germans pay in blood. What about Colin, she asked. Is he all right? Beasley bobbed his head, halfway between a nod and a shake. He was fine when I last saw him. A group came by the hospital the day we moved out, wished us a bon voyage, joked about us stopping in Seychelles for beach time. But that was two months ago. A lot can happen in a short time over there. Sheila leaned against his bed, suddenly exhausted. When you say he's tough, does that mean he'll take unnecessary risks? Beasley shook his head and touched her hand. I meant tough to kill. Colin is intelligent. You can see it at a glance. He's a good man, too. He'll come home. I'm sure he will. On the way back from the hospital, 
Sheila detoured to the gully at the northern edge of the camp. The eucalyptus trees lining the creek bed reminded her of home. Despite his assurances, Ted Beasley couldn't guarantee that Colin would return. Nobody could. Her stomach churned. It was the waiting and not knowing. She could handle the 12-hour workdays and the pain in the patient's eyes. But the worry was wearing her down. Enough self-pity. Others have it plenty worse, she told herself. She remembered the cheerful soldier with only one foot. She turned from the creek and hurried back to the barracks. Tomorrow was Saturday. The AWAS team gave a weekly show for the patients. They made fun of themselves with silly dance routines and out-of-tune songs. Everyone loved it. The recruiting poster had said, There's a job for you in the AWAS. She had a job to do right there in Tamworth, and she might as well get to it. Okay, that's the end of the episode, and we've covered a lot of ground. So, uh, in Thomas's world, it's it's been apparent for some time that that he is attracted to Chris Carboni. But when they kiss, when they finally kiss on the front porch, he realizes he's not ready to take the relationship to the next level. And in Sheila's world, she tracked down a wounded soldier from the 18th Brigade and got a first-hand account of Colin's health in North Africa. Now, I got curious about the hospital camp in Tamworth, and I did a little research on that. And, and there really was a military hospital in Tamworth during World War II. It was, a, it was a temporary hospital. And they also used ambulance drivers from the AWAS. Now, today, the hospital is gone. But there is a granite marker that stands on the site to commemorate those who served. I also found a photo online of a group of soldiers, doctors, and nurses outside of a temporary structure at the hospital. And you can find a link to that photo on my website. I've inserted it in the written version of this story, Frontline News. As a reminder, my website is patrickkellystories.com. Now, in the, the next episode, Thomas will try to make amends with Chris. And in Sheila's world... While driving her ambulance in a torrential storm, she will encounter a flash flood. Now I'd like to take a moment to promote my writing. If you like the narrative style of these stories, you will enjoy reading my novels. Visit my website at patrickkellystories.com to peruse my books and join my newsletter, The PK Monthly. Each month, I send out a brief email update with writing news and links to new Sheila stories. On today's episode, we had music by Cinemedia and sound effects by zapsplat.com. Thank you, friends. I'll be back soon. Bye now. <laughs>